I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Maybe there's no peace in this world. For us or for anyone else. I don't know. But I do know that as long as we live, we must stay true to ourselves. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Spartacus. And I'm Crassus. <laughs> and we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brennan and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. Um, this week, however, we are continuing our 2023 director retrospective on Stanley Kubrick. Um, we have been watching chronologically the films of Kubrick and discussing them in detail each week. This week, we are discussing Spartacus from 1960, starring Kirk Douglas. Um, this is the second and final collaboration between Kubrick and Douglas. Spartacus is a four-time Oscar winner that is a rarity in the Kubrick filmography. It is a studio Hollywood epic. As we mentioned last episode, this sticks out a little in Kubrick's career as an oddity, and one that's not talked about as a Kubrick film. In this episode, we're hoping to find out why that is, and place it amongst his other works and see how it holds up. Um, before we do talk about the film and get into all the details, we would like to thank you um, for listening um, to the show, uh, sending ratings and reviews and all that good stuff. We re, uh, really appreciate it. Um, please go ahead and subscribe and then hit that bell to be notified when a new episode is available. Hint, hint, it's on a Sunday. And if you really, really enjoy the show, please share it with your friends. Uh, you can find us on all social media platforms at Film Church Radio, where you can leave us a comment or send a message about the show. And we do post some extra stuff on YouTube as well. Um, and if you really do love it, like we said, go ahead, leave a rating and a review. Please go ahead and do that. Um, just put your favorite Kubrick film as the review. We'd love to read and see uh, what your favorite Kubrick film is. Um, before we discuss the film, we do like to talk about what else we've been watching this week in our trailers section. Um, this is where Brandon and I just talk briefly about all the stuff we've been watching before we jump into the meat of the show. So, Brandon, what have you been watching, my friend? Uh, not much, but also much. <laughs> mm. um, it's been... Uh kind of a busy week for me um i have had a little bit of time off and um but i spent that time with sarah my girlfriend so we just hbo'd and chilled all weekend nice <laughs> uh and instead of watching films we watched tv series um and we binged all of the white lotus cool both seasons have you seen it no, I've been in the room while Chelsea has been watching it, though. Oh, okay. So you've been spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do um, know the endings to both. I think the last, at the final two episodes, I kind of saw the majority of them. So Yeah, yeah. Um, we really enjoyed them a lot. They're kind of like murder mysteries, uh, mm. which are, um, I feel like, getting more and more popular right now. Yeah. Um, and it works... It seems to work really well in this longer format, like better than, um, I think better than like the Glass Onion or the um, Death on the Nile and that kind of a thing. Um, just because you got more time to kind of spend with characters and, you know, really heighten the tensions, I guess. Yeah. Uh, to the point to to just like this crazy boiling point, and then everything is just revealed, kind of at the end. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, great casting, great writing. Um, Mike White, who I have seen in so many things, he's the creator of the show. Um, I didn't realize that that he was like such a big writer um 
he's he's uh like I said, I've seen him in so many things. You would recognize him. Um, he's in uh, School of Rock as Mr. Schneebly, the roommate. You mm-hmm. know that Jack Black steals his identity. Um, and then he's also in Orange County as one of the teachers. Um, and uh, yeah, but and then I saw him like when we were watching the, I guess it was the Golden Globes and. Um, Jennifer Coolidge won and she like thanked him and stuff. I was like, oh, I guess he created that show. And then started looking on his IMDb page and he wrote School of Rock and he wrote Orange County. And um, yeah, so he, I mean, he's been writing stuff for a long time, just has never really, I've never really known that about him, I guess. And, and those are some of my favorite movies. So like, yeah, it's like, oh, cool. I would probably really like this show. Um, and it's very different, you know, from what you would expect. I mean, just based on those two movies, different than <laughs> different yeah. than those movies, but very well written and and great characters and stuff. Uh, so I'm glad he's getting like more attention now. I mean, so it's, it's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Totes. <laughs> so what about you? What have you been watching? That was that was it for me. I mean, it was a it was. Yeah, like I said, we binged two seasons, so that just took up. I mean, that's a lot of content. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been trying to keep it very Kubrick related on my watching. Mm-hmm. Um, either films that I've been thinking about while watching um, Kubrick films or um, adjacent films from like the same time period. Um, so I rewatched Raging Bull. Um, yeah, Scorsese's boxing epic. Um, after you know killer's kiss and stuff like that um and it's just it's great i love how as the film progresses it gets more and more violent um the the boxing scenes are just shot so beautifully and the rings look so big and but then it's like close up and you're kind of very in the middle of it um pesci and de niro are just phenomenal as you know it's just on screen partners they could just be in a room talking to each other and i'd give it five stars you know it's just amazing (laughs) yeah um it's just yeah it's a a film i've been wanting to go back to for a while and after watching killer's kiss i was like okay we're gonna we're gonna go back and watch it yeah um and then i watched ace in the hole um the billy wilder film with kirk douglas in it um and I, i did wonder there is a scene in there where he's like having a wash and he's topless and I was like, I wonder if that was... <laughs> in his contract. Yeah, in his contract, even in 51, that yeah. he has to do a, sh- a scene without his shirt on. Yeah. Um, and it's a film that I've seen before. But again, talking about Kurt Douglas, I wanted to go back and watch it because it became it came before Passive Glory. Yeah. Um, and his character is not as likable as Dax um, in Ace, Ace in the Hole. Um, mm. But he's, I mean, he's excellent in it. I think he's excellent in, in the majority of stuff that I've seen him in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and Ace in the Hole is a very, it always feels timely mm-hmm. um, with the, you know, fake news and and um, stretching things out and, you yeah. know, making profits off of disasters and stuff like that. Um, and it is a really interesting character study. Um, so I watched that and then I watched Rafifi, which is a French film, um, which is like a heist thriller, um, a film that I'd, I'd seen a lot when I was researching the killing. Yeah. Um, and one that I had on the shelf that I hadn't watched yet. So I watched that, um, and I absolutely loved that. It was, nice. there was like a lot that seemed to be going on, but it didn't, nothing was inconsequential everything kind of came together and you know paid off and there's a wonderful like 30 minute scene in the middle of the film where the heist is happening and it's just silent but it's so mm. gripping and tense you know yeah. and it, it's uh because it's never really explained before kind of exactly what they're gonna do you just kind of you see them coming up with solutions to problems um but then the the heist is just is really interesting yeah. um and really well done um and then it went Somewhere where I wasn't expecting it to go for the third act, which was entertaining. Um, And there's something about French cinema that's just, that I really enjoy when I watch it. Yeah, same here. You know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Rafifi, I hadn't heard about it until um, it was mentioned in a script that you and I yeah. both read that our friend wrote. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so it's been on my list since then. I've been wanting to get to it. Um, but yeah, this is making it much more intriguing now that I know a, a little bit about what it's about. Yeah, and I, I think that the thing that I like about French films is that the character portrayals aren't always like, black and white there's yeah. some gray area in a lot of characters i saw one review that said there's a there's a scene about 20 minutes in that's that's quite brutal and they said oh i just couldn't get past it and mm. it's like you know and for me it kind of told me more about the character than than i guess it did for them you know and i right. could get past it um it is still shocking but i don't think it tarnishes the film in my opinion yeah I'm trying to kind of say this without giving too much away. Yeah, it's not like sure, a yeah. spoiler alert. It's not like a spoiler or anything, but it does, you know, have you thinking about what's right and wrong throughout the whole film. Yeah. It it sounds conceptually what you're talking about sounds similar to our discussion on uh, Once Upon a Time in America. I don't know if it's yeah. close to that at all, but... Yeah, I would say that it is. I think that it's definitely in the vein of, you know, the the new Hollywood in the the characters aren't necessarily likable and they do some um, not so great things, but we're still rooting for them. Yeah. You know, just because of the, the language of the camera and how it shoots them and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Possibly something that might be missing from the movie we're about to talk about. Potentially. Later in a little while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and knowing that we're coming into this, like I said, I've been reading a lot on Kubrick and I know that before Spartacus you know, he got kind of drafted to to make this film. He was working with Brando on One-Eyed Jacks. Yeah. Um, his, uh, a Western that Brando was trying hard to get off the ground, um, was attached to direct and worked on it for, I think, six months. Um, and then got, kind of had a falling out with Brando and not really going in the same direction. Yeah. Um, so left the project only for Brando to, to finish directing and starring it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched this one as well, just out of curiosity. Um, and I, I, again, we're going to talk about it when we get on to Spartacus. Yeah. Um, but I, I had a blast with it. It's really fun. I mean, Brando is just the biggest movie star in the world, you know, and you can tell. Yeah. Every scene he's in is just, is brilliant. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited And I think he's directed it. really well. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it sounds good. I mean. Yeah. I... I love Brando, of course. Yeah. And like, yeah, so I'm excited to see something that he directed, but is also, you know, yeah, because I mean, it's like, well, you always hear like when you, when you, like synonymous with Brando is like his, uh, is, is always like him taking his own direction in movies anyway, except with the exception of maybe working with Ilya Kazan, who was maybe the only person who could like, uh, actually direct him. <laughs> yeah. And everybody else just kind of had to shoot whatever he was doing. <laughs> so it's, it, 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 I'm interested to see him actually just doing whatever he wants anyway. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it works. It really does. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's great. And I think the behind the scenes stuff is enough for a documentary. There's so much about it. You know, there's a scene where he's on like a cliff top and the waves are crashing below him. And I was like, Oh, well, that's a good shot. And then when I was doing some like reading and watching a bit of the special features on the disc, it was like, yeah, he waited for like, he wasted like four days or something before he was like, yep, the waves look how I want them. Wow. Um, and the, it was just <laughs> over budget and, you know, took like, I mean, to say that Kubrick was working on it before Spartacus and Spartacus is a notoriously long shoot. Yeah, and that still came out the year before One-Eyed Jacks. Mm-hmm. It tells you all you need to know about the production, yeah. I think, of that film. Um, but I, I, I still think that a really good film was made. Yeah, um, you know, westerns aren't my favorite genre, and for them to to pique my interest like that, I think they're good. So, nice. yeah, yeah, I would definitely recommend if you're doing this Kubrick retrospective as an adjacent film, seeking that one out. Yeah, you've got all good watches this week. It's like, 
I know. Raging Bull is the only one on your list that I have seen, and I absolutely love that movie. And then yeah. everything else is stuff that I've been wanting to watch. And like Ace and the Hole. Yeah, I mean, you kind of turned me on to Billy Wilder. And, and mm. now I'm like, I've got to watch everything that he's done. Yeah. Um, so that's still on my list. but. And I think that's part and parcel of this like retrospective is that it's just making me want to go and watch great films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, I'm having so much fun with it that the films that it rins, it, that's it, it's inspiring me to go and watch are some of my favorite films. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, um, thank you. Yeah. Film church. <laughs> yeah. I would recommend all of those. So yeah, go and watch sure. them all. Um, but yeah, let's move on to our feature presentation. This week, we are watching Spartacus from 1960. The letterbox summary and tagline is, They trained him to kill for their pleasure, but they trained him a little too well. The rebellious Spartacus, born and raised a slave, is sold to a gladiator trainer. After weeks of being trained to kill for the arena, Spartacus turns on his owners and leads the other slaves in rebellion. As the rebels move from town to town, their numbers swell as escaped slaves join their ranks. Under the leadership of Spartacus, they make their way to southern Italy, where they will cross the sea and return to their homes. Spartacus. It is three hours and twenty minutes long. It is the the first and last, I would say, feature film that Kubrick made as a director for hire. It's not really talked about in conversations with Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's an oddity. I yeah. would say it's one of those films that before I was really deep invested into Kubrick, I if you would like if you would ask me who had directed Spartacus, I probably wouldn't have been able to say Kubrick. Yeah. Cause it just seems so left field. Yeah. Um and I know that this was a first watch for both of us. Um so how did you approach it after the like the last four weeks? Well, as you know, I was pretty hyped for this movie. <laughs> because uh i mean i honestly love a good sword and sandal and sand epic <laughs> um you know i grew up watching the 10 commandments with charlton heston and yeah yul brenner and uh that's that's probably the peak of uh you know these sword sand and sandal epics for me but that's because I grew up watching it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've seen Ben-Hur a few times. Um, and, uh, well, probably more than a few times, but definitely seen the Ten Commandments more. Anyway, uh, and then, you know, we watched Colossus of Rhodes last year for our um, Sergio Leone sp- uh, retrospective, and we both loved it. You know, it it really was, um, it was kind of taking the sword and sand and sandal epic and making it uh, a little more boyish and, you know, just kind of fun, adventurous. Um, And uh, yeah, so I was super hyped because I I kind of expected this to be um, just really epic, I guess. And yeah tragic or i don't know and uh yeah it just it was all right (laughs) it was uh it was very long um yeah you know there there were parts of it that i really liked um but it it is very long and kind of drags and uh it was it was definitely an interesting watch um like there there's so many stars in this movie and Mm. and not even stars but just people that you've seen in other movies i mean there was uh let's see if i i'm sorry i gotta look up their names um but when he fights in the arena at the beginning with with, uh woody schrode Mm -hmm. as soon as i I was like as soon as i saw that guy he was like in the background uh when you first see him and I was like 
is that the black cowboy from Once Upon a Time in the West? And it is, yeah. you know, yeah. um, which kind of connects our, our director's series that we've done. Yeah. And then you've got, um, who else? Uh, John Gavin, who's in yeah. Psycho. You've yeah. got John Dahl, who's in Rope. Yeah. Um, you know, you've Lawrence got... Lawrence Olivier from oh, Rebecca. Yeah, exactly. Lawrence Olivier, who I, I didn't even recognize until like halfway through the movie. I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, who? which yeah. one is Lawrence Olivier? And then I was like, oh, it's, yeah, he's... I mean, he's a little bit older um, in this, but I mean, he just kind of... To me, he just kind of completely disappears into that character, which is great. Yeah. Um, Peter... Ustinov, who is a new, uh, new for me. I haven't, I haven't seen yeah. him in anything else. But I mean, r- right off the bat, within within the first thirty minutes of this movie, I was like, this guy is really good, and he's he's yeah. got all the best lines. Yeah. Um, and he plays them so well because he's he's really funny. He's just like, <laughs> yeah, I love the line where he's like, you know, get use our second best wine. Oh no! No, actually, use use our yeah. best wine, but small goblets. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just stuff like that. Uh, yeah, really helped you to kind of like the character, and then he turns out to be like um, a redeemable character by the end, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, sort of. Yeah, you know, he's he's not completely evil, I guess. He's just in it for the money. Yeah. Um, and trying to protect himself. Um. So yeah, I mean, there was a lot to like, but it it was just you know I I kind of be, because it was Kubrick, I kind of expected a yeah. little more of Kubrick there, yeah. but then I really didn't see any anything that made me feel like oh there's there he is there's Ku- yeah. there's Kubrick's touch, um there was really nothing, and yeah. and there is stuff there you know once you learn about the film there is there is he did influence the movie a lot and. The movie wouldn't be what it is without him, yeah. especially like the action sequences. Um, but I only know that because I've read about it. It's like just watching it without knowing anything. I really couldn't see any of any of him there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially with the shooting, I expected the the cinematography to be a bit different, but it really just kind of looks like all the other um, films in this genre. I think that's the problem, isn't it? I think that once you kind of sign on for this big budget, like Hollywood studio epic, is that you kind of get chewed up a little bit. Yeah. Um, like Kubrick's um, career so far has been kind of independent productions um, that he's managed to get distributed by like United Artists or whatever. Yeah. Um, whereas this is he's actually working on a set. He's not in control. There's There's people above him telling him what they want mostly Kirk Douglas. Um, and he is just there to kind of organize the chaos, you know? Yeah. Um, and especially with a film of the, like just going through that cast list, as you said, you know, you've got some heavy hitters. I know that Charles Lawton and Lawrence Olivier really didn't get on with each other yeah. um, throughout the filming. And they kind of were constantly sparring with each other. Um, Kirk Douglas and Kubrick himself were like, you know, butting heads a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and I think in the end, it is just a, a whole point and shoot. You know, we'll just, yeah. for Kubrick, he just want, like, he knew he didn't have control. He just wanted to kind of get it over with. Yeah. Um, not to say that it's like rushed, because there are some like really beautiful, like, scenes and some really well constructed, like, um, sequences. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it's not. It's not the. It, it doesn't have a stamp on it. It's not, you know, yeah. Kubrick's film. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, you know, it's not a terrible film. It it yeah. uh, it did really well when it came out. Yeah. And I think the timing was right because it was, um, you know, close to the civil rights, and also, um, yeah, I mean, just just about like having more freedom, you know, and and everything that the the sixties was kind of about, I mean, this is obviously it came out in 60. So it's like that. I think it, this kind of maybe fed into that mindset of like the free spirit and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it, 
it to me it just doesn't really hold up that well anymore um and i think partially because it's it's to for me honestly like kirk douglas is not right for this it, yeah i don't know i mean he does have that persona i would say that the character of spartacus is not right for kirk douglas i would say yeah, exactly so i think he could definitely hold this film but as a character spartacus is so boring and i don't mean to say that like it sounds a lot worse than i mean it but i don't he's got i mean apart from you know treating women right there's not really anything in there that's you know that sets him aside from anybody else yeah yeah and he's, it, go ahead he's just a guy yeah really you know and i think that you know we were talking about dax last episode on paths of glory being you know you would follow him into battle like with spartacus there's just nothing like that yeah it doesn't seem you don't like get it. that same characterization yeah well see it and i like i do not think kirk douglas is a bad actor but like no. like you're saying it just it just doesn't fit right anymore like maybe yeah. it did at the time um but in just today's world it it just doesn't he doesn't seem for, like for one thing he doesn't seem like a slave <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean yeah. he doesn't really act like a slave he doesn't really <laughs> yeah i can't just i don't believe him as a slave like that there's a point where he's like giving a speech before the battle and that was probably my least favorite part of his portrayal that or the part that just really stood out to me is like this isn't working because yeah. it it almost seemed like he was he's just like this good country boy yeah like he just he just seems american <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean yeah. and i and i'm like i don't believe this you know so that's that and that's the part i think where it just it it mostly falls apart there because well for one thing it's like this was a project that Kirk Douglas produced. Like this wouldn't exist without him. Yeah. So it's like the like you can't really have this movie without him. Um, and so to be for the for the the problem with the movie to be him is like, well, yeah. What are you gonna do? <laughs> they made the best yeah. movie possible, I think, and it's still a really great movie. And I think I will like it more and more the more I go back to it. Now yeah. that I've I've kind of wrapped my head around. Yeah. You know, once I kind of decide what I don't like about a movie, I can sort of forget about it and then keep enjoying all the things I really do like. And I think that, that I will, the more I go back to it. Yeah. I mean, this whole film uh, talking about Douglas is just, is a vanity project for Douglas. Really? Um, he went up for Ben Hur and didn't get it. Lost out to Charlton Heston and was like, fine, I'm going to go make my own epic about you know a hero heroic person um so that's exactly what he did you know this is kind of him like sticking the middle finger up to the ben-hur project being like i can do it too yeah. um and i think that it all those you know things that you said there definitely show throughout the film it's not he's not the kind of actor that can lead this i don't think you know, I think that, like you said, Laurence Olivier really falls into it, as does Charles Lawton. The su supporting cast around him are great, but he does stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. He's not, I don't know, it's, it's not that he's not heroic enough, it's just that his, like I said, his character is so bland that yeah. there's just nothing there for him to get his teeth into. It's just well, he's like, not he's not complex enough and that that's kind yeah. of the stuff that I've been reading about this film and kind of like what you were saying earlier about um Rafifi uh is that you know sometimes you have these characters that make you question question you know what yeah. is good what is evil and yeah. you know he doesn't have any real um kind of moral He's just—he's just a really good guy in the whole movie, yeah. and the, and so yeah. there's no deep complexity to him. Um, it's the kind of character that only Hollywood can produce, right? You know, if if they could have him descending from the heavens, I'm sure they would have done. 
Yeah. You know. Um and maybe that I mean maybe that's to talk about the kind of film that this is. You know, you were talking about the Ten Commandments and, you know, especially the the biblical epics. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure they're taking um a note from those as well and kind of leaning into that side of it as well. Yeah. Um Well, I do appreciate that this is kind of a biblical epic with no yeah. mention of Christianity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I do like that. But yeah, it's like but but still he's kind of a Jesus figure. Um, yeah. there's no he has no sins, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and as a result, I mean, he's a titular character, he gets a lot of screen time and they're the bits that you forget. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know. Um Yeah, it's a shame. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, he I guess there's really no arc to his character really. I mean, no. he just a man who dreams of freedom and that's that summarizes the whole movie <laughs> yeah exactly yeah a man dreams um, of freedom because i did think that the original like the, the beginning of the film the first hour or so where he is a slave and they're getting ready for the arena and stuff was really good and that yeah. like, i was really interested by that um and then kind of when they break out and go free it just kind of goes it loses it a bit. It's just like, okay, they're, they're here, they're there, you know, where are, what are they doing? Yeah. You know? Um, and it just loses it a bit. And then it is like two and a half hours of them kind of getting ready for this big showdown. And mm-hmm. the end battle doesn't seem to last very long. I feel like... It doesn't. The, when they go over the top in Paths of Glory, that long shot, I was expecting like, okay, we're at the battle, here we go. This is going to be... Because we had like 50 minutes left. I was like, this is going to be the end of the film. It's going to be yeah. a 50 minute battle. And it's like ten minutes. Yeah, I was I was disappointed with how short it was because the because ba- the what we did see of the battle was some of the best stuff in this movie. Yeah, um, and apparently there weren't any battles uh, planned to be filmed until Kubrick got involved, right? From what, what yeah what yeah. they said in one of the documentaries, which is crazy to me because it definitely is one of the best parts. Kubrick's uh, it was Kubrick's idea to have the burning like logs. <laughs> that roll down, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> and then the part where he just like lops this guy's arm off. I was like, where did that come from? That know, was yeah. amazing. <laughs> like more of this. I was like, here we go. Yeah. Finally, we, we yeah. got somewhere. This is going to make me really like this movie. And then, like you said, it just ends and you're like, ah, yeah. Poo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> B- back to the, uh, back to the, Character beats, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is very important in Hollywood for a few reasons. I mean, the first is that they had, um, that it was written by Dalton Trumbo, who was blacklisted. um, Mm -hmm. And this was the first time that he had a, since the blacklist had a writing credit with his real name um, on the credits, um, which caused a, you know, it kind of put an end to all that. Or started the end, I should say, of yeah. kind of the blacklist and the beginning and people the being afraid to do it. Yeah, because yeah. um, they were struggling with it. I mean, they wanted to put it on at some point, but the studio was a bit like, "I don't think we should do it." And this is kind of where the final nail in the coffin came for Kubrick and Douglas, because um, they were trying to come up with an idea of like how to get his name on it, and Kubrick was like, "I can just take the credit. Like, you can just put written by Stanley Kubrick," and Douglas was like. Like, wouldn't you feel embarrassed, like, to put your name on a script that someone else wrote? And Kubrick was like, no. <laughs> um, so they didn't go that route. They actually, you know, put Trumbo's name on it. But I think for Douglas, that was like his fight. He was like, okay, we're not on the same page. You know, Kubrick's in it for, you know, his own kind of progression as of, of a career. I'm trying yeah. to change the landscape of the industry. Yeah, I mean, and both, you know, both of their reasonings, both of their motivations are justified, you know, justifiable yeah. motivations, I think, because, like, Kubrick at this point in his career just needs a big win so that he can really do what he wants to do. And, and yeah, and Kirk Douglas is already successful in trying to make, yeah. uh, you know, just trying to, like, do what he can to help others, yeah. you know, and help yeah. the industry move in a positive direction. So, like, both are... 
But it's like, and then Kubrick maybe wants the same thing, but he can't, he's not in a position to do that yet. He just needs, he needs a big success like this to, to be able to do what he wants. It's like, you know, it, yeah. it, 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 even though like we were talking about, there's no hints of Kubrick seemingly here. Um, stupidly, like this is what you, he kind of needed on his resume, you know, is like, okay, I've yeah. done this huge epic with all of these huge stars. It's become a huge success. It's won Academy Awards and also been commercially successful. Um, you know, like once you prove that to to the producers in Hollywood, it's like you can kind of start navigating and doing whatever you want. Yeah. Plus, yeah. I mean, it sounds like he was pretty confident on the set you know, from outside perspectives, who knows how he actually felt while he was shooting this movie. But even if he was nervous on the inside or, or unsure, um, I'm, I'm sure after the film came out, he, he felt much more confident to handle bigger productions later on, you know, like Barry yeah. Lyndon and, and, yeah. you know, Full Metal Jacket and The Shining and, you know, all these much higher budget, bigger productions, um, lots of cast, you know, you, if you had, I mean, this movie has so many people in it. Like you hand it, like you get that under your belt. Like you feel like you can do anything. I'm sure. I was going to say, if you're going to do one studio film, like what a film for it to be, yeah, you know, this huge historical epic with so many well-known people in it. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't need to do it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, I, and I do realize that both story. I mean, the one I told last week as well about, you know, the script being changed when Douglas arrived on set and stuff. Both of these stories are from Douglas's autobiography, so they are probably weighed more in light of Douglas. Yeah, you know, um, I think maybe take it with a pinch of salt, but. From what we can tell, he was, yeah, he was looking to be able to make the films he wanted to make by being commercially successful. You know, we saw that kind of last week and then this week, definitely. It's like, I don't think he would have taken this if Paths of Glory hadn't have been as controversial and, you know, he would have gone straight into maybe not One Eye Jacks, but Lolita, because yeah. that was what he was trying to get made at the time. Um, but yeah, because of not being able to be financially successful he had to kind of take this to to uh prove himself again i guess yeah i mean and i, f I feel like douglas kind of knew what he was getting into with kubrick it's like I, yeah. I i think that's part of the reason he he called him up to come and take over this movie because they had another director and they shot a couple of days right and then yeah and then uh called up kubrick he called up kubrick because he had worked with them before, and I I feel like his motivation for that was was to was because Kubrick was so visionary yeah. and would would have a would have an opinion, you know. I, I feel yeah. like that's what Douglas felt like he needed was someone who, from my point of view anyway, was someone who. Uh, who just had a strong opinion <laughs> about stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. and had a direction to give. Um, and, and I'm like, he had to have known that, you know, sometimes that direction, they wouldn't agree, but you know, he probably knew also that he had enough. I mean, he's a producer and the star, so he, he probably knew he had enough power to, yeah to wrangle him in when he needed to, but yeah. I mean, yeah, Douglas was pulling for Kubrick before the film even started shooting because um, he'd enjoyed Passive Glory so much. But then the studio went with Anthony Mann, who was, um, who was I, I don't know if he was at the studio at the time or at another studio, but he was proven. He did a lot of westerns and, right. you know, kind of looking for the next step, you know, could shoot really well. Um, and then, yeah, he, he shot a little bit of film and then Douglas and him had a huge falling out. And that's when Kubrick was called in pretty much with 24 hours notice, you know, hadn't seen a script, hadn't seen any sets, but was called in to kind of come and finish it. 
Um, and coming in at that point, I mean, how much control are you gonna are you gonna have? Yeah. You know? um, and I think this is where he started to um, to drift away and like not be as accessible. I know that Douglas said that like it was just hard to kind of rekindle that friendship that they had on Past of Glory. Um, yeah. And Douglas himself really tried, but Kubrick was really aloof and just didn't, you know, didn't really want to be part of this gang, you know, the Hollywood gang. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I get it. I mean, it's it's just yeah. like so many like it's all just kind of a like a lot of games that you're having to navigate, you know, yeah. relationship games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, keeping everybody happy. And... Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's uh, realizing that he just wants to be an artist. You know, he wants yeah. to be. He wants to create. Um, what he wants to create, he wants to like. He wants complete creative control. He wants final edit. Yeah. He wants uh he wants all these things that he can't get if he continues uh to make director for higher movies, you know. Yeah. And he had signed on with uh Douglas's production company to make like seven films. Um How did he get out of after, that? Well, I mean it's there's no real details. It just said that in sixty one, after the film had come out, he went up to meet with Douglas and was just like, I just want to be released from my contract. Wow. Then they kind of, you know, figured it out somehow. Yeah. Um, I guess the relationship had deteriorated so much that Douglas was like, yeah, this isn't the person that I'm going to have a, you know, long and fruitful partnership with. Yeah. I mean, for the best, I guess. I mean, I kind of, yeah. I would be curious to know what, what kind of stuff they might've done after that. But like, you know, I, Kirk Douglas, I just think of him as such a classical actor. Yeah. You know, that yeah. it's hard to picture him in anything else that Kubrick has done. I know. Yeah. I, I, I think that Douglas obviously wasn't going the same way as Kubrick. You know, yeah. Kubrick was going to be very, um, more art house. I yeah. guess than like mm -hmm. Douglas yeah. was at this time. He was still trying to change the face of Hollywood and you know mix that up. But yeah, yeah and Kubrick I don't was think... like, nah, I don't like yeah. Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's, it's just uh, it, it is kind of cool that you know. I mean, I mean, we're gonna talk about this more as we get into other yeah. films, but it is yeah. cool that like someone so uninterested in the business of Hollywood was able to be so successful. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, he had to do this. He had to do this one film though. <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. Had, yeah. In order to get there, you know. And I think that's so. where you see just that raw talent that he had is that even when he wasn't in control, it can still win four Academy Awards and still look absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, the crazy, the well, a couple of the crazy things about this movie in terms of Academy Awards to me is yeah. that it got Best Cinematography, mm -hmm. which it seems like, based on what I've read, that like Kubrick and the cinematographer fought a lot, and Kubrick shot a lot yeah. of the movie himself. Yeah. So really that belonged to Kubrick. Yeah. And... uh uh, yeah, like how embarrassing for that cinematographer to be fighting with the director about the cinematography so much and then to get an Academy Award that Award for, yeah. really doesn't even belong to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that this is also the only time that an actor won an Academy Award That's for right. a Kubrick movie um, with Ustinov. Yeah. I think Peter Sellers was nominated, but I don't... Like, nobody else ever won. It, this yeah. was the only credit... Um, and I feel like, you know, it's the same with like Hitchcock is that, you know, he was, he always had a difficult relationship with the Oscars and maybe that's something we'll see moving forward with Kubrick as well. They just don't recognize, you know, true masters of the, yeah, of the medium straight away. Well, I mean, Charlie yeah. Chaplin, did he really yeah. ever get recognized or no, I mean, Buster Keaton, exactly like all these, you know, people that change cinema forever. Yeah. Um yeah. Um it's a real shame. Um 
I mean, these are like the the Mozart and the Beethovens yeah. of cinema, you know, the people that everyone in the industry references and takes inspiration from and like laid the foundation for the art form. Yeah. Exactly. Um but I mean this is like this is awards bait, isn't it? I mean yeah, you've got exactly. you know the actor of the moment in a very heroic role. Um you've got an up and coming director on a big budget, you know, this incredible supporting cast. It's like this was made for one reason and that's to pretty much get awards. Yeah. It probably frustrated Kirk Douglas that he didn't get nominated or yeah. anything. But yeah. I mean it sounds like that was partially his fault for not because didn't Kubrick want to kind of create more complexity in the character yeah. and Yeah. And Douglas, Douglas was like no. No. Well, it it also sounds like Douglas was afraid to uh go off the page because Trumbo wrote it. He wanted to Yeah. He felt like the maybe the arti- art the artistic um value was in the script. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably and I and I think that you know, with Yusinov why he won some of the things that I've been reading recently is that because he had a lot of scenes with Charles Lawton, um, Lawton refused to read Trumbo's words um, due to the, you know, the blacklist. Yeah. Um, so improvised a lot, which meant that um, the scenes that he had um, with Eustonoff uh, were pretty much all impro- improvised for both of them. So arguably you know that best supporting actor oscar is due to the fact that they went off script wow um which you know probably didn't um <laughs> douglas probably wasn't that <laughs> pleased with anyway yeah um, but you told a great story that he got a, a letter from Lawrence olivier um and he just basically said when he won the oscar was like thank you for supporting me so much um which is lovely. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I mean, coming on to Olivier, I think he steals the show. Yeah. Yeah, um, kind of. I mean, because he's the more complex yeah. character, right? I mean, he's. Yeah. I mean, there's the added scene, the famous one with oysters and snails mm-hmm. between yeah. him and Tony Curtis. Um, which but, I did uh, not catch the first time I I watched. I think I was there's so much dialogue in this movie that you know yeah. there's scenes where I'm just like, get on with it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting that they that for the time and such a big Hollywood movie that they yeah. would have like this bisexual undertone. Well, it was originally cut um, and then replaced for like the re-release. I think for the. 50th anniversary or something like that. Um, Tony Curtis was still alive, alive, so redubbed his lines. Um, but Olivier oh. was dead, so they got Anthony Hopkins to do it. Whoa! So, wow! Yeah. Um, so the words you hear being spoken in that scene is Hopkins, and there's like a special thanks to him at the end as well. That's why it feels so creepy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you go back and when you go back and listen to it, it's pr- like you can tell it's Hopkins. But yeah, it that's sound crazy. Like yeah, because he's like. Do you like oysters or yeah. snails? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it does change the film. Like that scene, it adds a lot of weight to like the scenes in like the saunas and like you know where he's talking to Julius Caesar. Um, there's a lot of kind of undertones that I don't think probably would have come out. No pun intended. If that scene hadn't have been put in there, yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of homoeroticism going on. Yeah. Um, which is again, I wonder why it's because it's not. It doesn't serve any narrative purpose. Yeah, but I'm not yeah, sure. But it does add to the. Yeah, it does to the complexities of the characters, like you said. And yeah, then, and then you also have, uh, you know, you get the sense like in the scene where he he's got um, Spartacus's wife Verena, played by Gene yeah. Simmons. You know, the scene with uh, her and Laurence Olivier where she's, you know, he's 
I, I can't even explain the scene that well, but like, uh, or I kind of lost my point. <laughs> Why was I talking about this scene? Uh, the character development and the, the undertones of homosexuality. Yeah, I guess, I guess in that scene, it, it, it adds this layer of like, is this guy evil? He seems evil. Yeah. But also it seems like he's trying to do better or something. Not that yeah. that makes him redeemable, but it does have this hint of is he trying to do the right thing? I don't like yeah. what is his motivation? You know, yeah. so it, it at least adds this like complexity to it, whether right or wrong it doesn't matter. It just makes the film deeper, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think you know, going when I rewatch this, it's going to be his character that I kind of look forward to seeing again. Um, Spartacus just reminds me of Tarzan. You know, it's just the kind of me good, you bad. You know, yeah, kind of mentality of. I think if he had been more like, uh, maybe drawn to violence in some, like took some pleasure in violence yeah. in some way, it would add this, uh, like level of uh haunting scariness to him yeah you know the yeah. uh there's a reason why he's kind of talked about yeah and and like maybe add this theme of like live by the sword die by the sword kind of a thing but yeah. it's like what are you going to do when you're trying to revolt <laughs> yeah exactly exactly I, I think they're trying to paint him as like this robin hood yeah. type character mm-hmm. And it's there's there's a lot of nuance with Robin Hood in terms of like you know his playfulness and you know the the way that certain things have gone and the and his personal you know um, personal feelings towards the king and all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas this is just like okay, he was a slave. He doesn't think it's right. This is his journey. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and 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 like I said, it's like I I think this film probably did so well at the time because of uh being so close to the civil rights movement and it and yeah, it real and yeah. like kind of reiterating like that he has a dream of freedom yeah uh, exactly and yeah. they even say in the movie it's like he dreamed of it 2000 years before yeah it would actually happen you know which is very depressing yeah i think it's meant to be like like, look how ahead of his time this guy was. And, and in mm-hmm. reality, it's just like, ugh, this is, you know, we're not going to get out of this anytime yeah. soon. Um, arguably, the more heroic is um, Drabber, um, played by Woody Strode, mm-hmm. the gladiator that he fights. Because not only does he kind of best him in battle, um, but he also, you know, he takes <laughs> he takes his shot while he's got it. You know, he throws yeah. the spear up into the into the viewing area and then tries to scale it to kill them. Um, and that, again, that's, I think that's the, that's where it lost me because I had seen that and I was like, Oh, like this is a hero. You know, this is someone that you can get behind and you just, no one else in the film ever reaches that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He would have been a great Spartacus. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, in that moment, yeah, you're like, Oh, Spartacus lost, and yeah, you don't really. I don't know. Yeah, you you never really latch on to him, like yeah, like I don't know. Like you're kind of rooting for him, but not really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you want the slaves to be free, and you want everyone to, you know, him to succeed. But you're never but like, more, this is my guy. Yeah, it's more you the know? unit you want to succeed yeah. with him. It's just like I don't, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um. I do want to mention one of my favorite people ever, uh, Tony Curtis, who's in this film. Um, I absolutely love Tony Curtis. He, uh, when I was starting out on this uh, calling to watch films and talk about them all the time, um, I read his autobiography when I was just about to start film school um, and wrote him a letter. And I was just like, hey, oh, you know, cool. huge fan. Love what you do. Thank you so much. And he sent a signed picture back. Um, and then he, you know, obviously he has passed away since then, but he's always been just one of my favorite people. You know, if he's in a film, I'm probably going to watch it. Yeah. Um, so it was really good to see him, you know, he hasn't got a lot to do, unfortunately, but, uh, Oh, he plays 
Antone Antoninus. Sorry. Antoninus. I was like, I know yeah. I've heard the name. Why am I saying it wrong? <laughs> yeah, the singer guy. He does, yeah. Um and I think that's, you know, one again, I do like the scene where they're having to fight and the one that survives is gonna get put on the cross. Yeah. Um that's a that's an interesting door, but it never feels earned. You know, it doesn't again it doesn't feel like the He's kind of around Spartacus a lot, but I don't think they kind of pay much attention to that friendship. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I did want to give a shout out to old Tony Curtis. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's dad as well. Oh, nice. I did not know that. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. Good to know. So, <laughs> love you, Tone. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that's cool that that he sent you a signed picture and everything. That's awesome. I know. Yeah. So he's always my favorite. I, I like to talk about him whenever I can. Yeah. That's great. Um, one last thing I do want to talk about with Kurt Douglas. He he gave my favorite quote ever on Kubrick. Um, and I I think I've already kind of told you about this because I just loved it when I read it. Yeah. Um, but he summarized his feelings about working on Spartacus with Stanley Kubrick by saying you don't have to be a nice person to be extremely talented. You could be a shit and be talented, and conversely, you could be the nicest guy in the world and not have any talent. Stanley Kubrick is a talented shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. I feel and I like... think that just sums up, you know, <laughs> how this ended for both of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like, I think... I think there's more to that that we don't know. Because, oh, I'm sure. I mean, plenty of people have very good things to say about Kubrick and that he was the nicest yeah. person ever. So it's like, yeah, Kurt, you know. Curtis said that it, like in his autobiography, he said that he was the greatest director that he worked with and a genius. Yeah. And he worked with Wilder, you know, and, and loads of other people. So I think it, it's definitely, like, I think working as an actor for Kubrick, was probably very rewarding. But then trying to collaborate with Kubrick was the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. And I think that's where we're seeing Douglas probably had a really great time on Passive Glory working with Kubrick and like getting that performance. But then when he was trying to manage Kubrick, he was like, I can't do it. Yeah. He's an asshole. You know? Yeah. I mean... That's, I mean, when you've got that many cooks in the kitchen that all are great yeah. at what they do, you know, it's like who's who's gonna have final say? Exactly, exactly. You got to pick one, and yeah, get out of their way. <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna be the chef or the sous chef? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and I think after this, Kubrick is definitely the chef. Yes. Dope. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll watch this again, maybe, but yeah, um, yeah, not my favorite Kubrick film. It was funny because I was uh, mentioning to Sarah recently, like, you should watch some of these Kubrick movies with me. I think you might like yeah. them because he kind of, uh, you know, he's a popular director, but he's, you know, his sub the subject matter of his films kind of is pushing the boundaries and like, you know like getting complex about, you know, human issues. <laughs> and yeah. uh <laughs> and I was like she was like, "Well, what's the next one you're watching?" And I was like, "Spartacus." And she was like, "Oh, I've seen that so many times. I'm not watching that." I was really? like, "Really?" <laughs> I was like, she's like, "Yeah, she's like our mom would get that movie from the library all the time." She's like, wow. "I've seen it way too much." <laughs> yeah, I feel like probably you know, Kirk Douglas is a very um, a fan favorite amongst yeah. women. I would mm -hmm. say, yeah. especially seeing him in the gladiator outfit. I know is a is a crowd pleaser. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I just thought that was funny. So hopefully, <laughs> uh, hopefully, I get her to watch some of these other ones and and get yeah. her opinion on them. I mean, next uh, we'll talk about what's next in just a minute, but. Um, might be a bit of a tricky one. Yeah, <laughs> to... for sure. 
to, to win someone over with. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to guess what we've read on Letterboxd? I feel like we've kind of run out of things that we want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, I'm going to say you rated it three. Okay, I'm going to say you rated it three and a half. You win. <laughs> oh, I rated it two and a half. Wow. Yeah. it was i mean it was okay this isn't my favorite genre um at all it's not something that i like look at for pleasure i was looking forward to watching it um but yeah i don't didn't connect with spartacus didn't see anything in there that was particularly interesting so two and a half (laughs) bit of a wet spark that's right <laughs> okay so let's my let's rate it <laughs> oh, uh put it in our kubrick ranking yes um so so, so far, this, i think this is going to be the first week that the latest film hasn't gone top yeah yeah so so far like you said number one paths of glory Number two, The Killing. Number three, Killer's Kiss. Number four, Fear and Desire. I feel like it is definitely not better than Killer's Kiss. Uh, Yeah. I think it's better than Fear and Desire. I think it's a lot better than Fear and Desire. I think that the trouble... It's better in different ways than Fear and Desire. I think that Killer's Kiss is a more interesting film when I'm talking about Kubrick and that's kind of how we're rating them. Um, but yeah, I would agree. I think uh, between Killer's Kiss and Fear and Desire is a perfect place to put Spartacus. Yeah. I think if you're uh, trying to learn filmmaking, you're going to learn more from F- Fear and Desire than you will from Spartacus. Yeah. Uh, or if you're doing a Stanley Kubrick watch through, I think you could skip Spartacus. But I wouldn't yeah. skip Fear and Desire just to because there's more to learn from it. Yeah. Um, are you are you making an, an argument to put it bottom? No, no, I'm not. I mean, as a, like just objectively, Spartacus is a better film. But yeah, I'd say if you're trying to learn something, you're not going to really get anything from Spartacus. And I think that's what we were hinting at, at the top of the show about the fact that it's not really mentioned with the other films of Kubrick is kind of, it's, it's an oddity. Yeah. I think that's because it's just not, it's not Kubrick. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but anyway, Spodicus goes in at number four in our top five at the moment. Um, how far down the list will it fall? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It might just stay right there. Yeah. It's hard to, I mean, I know, you know, I don't want to give away spoilers, but we're about to start hitting, the big time you know mm. this is i feel like the, this first five is kind of like the beginning of kubrick and next week we're gonna hit the you know the beginning of the end of kubrick which is a weird way to put it but, <laughs> well you know, the, the beginning big... of him being satisfied with the films he's making yeah yeah agreed um so what are we watching next week next week is going to be lolita from 1962. Awesome. Um, um, a film I watched a long time ago. Same. I watched it probably eight years ago. Yeah. So, probably the same for me too. Well, yeah. I wonder if we watched it at the same time. Maybe. Unbeknownst to us. Same day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to rewatch it and talk to you about it and see Kubrick back in his full force i'm excited yeah um me too well i think that brings us to the end of the show um you can find us on twitter and instagram at film church radio and you can follow us individually on letterboxd brandon is at salmon scope and i am at walker lewis 3007 to keep up with what we've been watching we have all of our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms please leave us a rating review so we know if you like the film if you didn't and what you pick for us to watch in the future Um, those reviews really do help other people find the show so if you do have the time and are so inclined please go ahead and do that Um, all that I've got left to say though Brandon is 
What's your name? You don't want to know my name. I don't want to know your name. Just a friendly question. Gladiators don't make friends. If we're ever matched in the arena together, I have to kill you. Ooh. <laughs> so that doesn't hurt. Ooh. <laughs> okay, fine. We won't be friends. <laughs> not talking to you again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was oh. great. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all. Save Film Church prayers. Amen. Amen.